You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 176 of the Black Eagles Podcast. I'm your host, Sinan Schwarting, live from New York City, as per usual. Sweltering hot New York City. Uh, a heat wave has sent so we got warnings about using electricity today, so I hope everyone's staying cool in the heat. Um... But yeah, without further ado, I'm just going to cut right back into uh, my discussion with Khan. Khan Bayazit, of course. Everyone will recognize him who, who listens to this podcast. And of course, again, stay tuned after the interview. Uh, and I will sort of segue it, obviously, so I'll, I'll, I'll prepare you for it. But uh, Evron, the Akman himself, will be uh, returning to, to give us a bit of a transfer update. Um, no huge news, but you know, I'll leave that for him to tell you about. But yeah, so without any further ado, I reintroduce you to Khan Bayazid, and we cut right back in uh, where we're starting to talk about the conspiracy theories that our rivals have about our championship season. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll just I'll leave it at that. Anyone who looked at Besiktas this season and 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 isn't completely biased about you know their their love for Galtzray or whatever, uh, I think they would say the same thing because it was clear that we were just going towards we were like a freight train that could almost not be derailed anymore and it and it required it required an extreme amount of circumstances with those injuries to even allow our rivals a chance and like if you can see some of the conspiracy theories that I was gonna say uh, yeah let's maybe briefly address that because it's it's coming up now all this like the hut ties for blah blah Mm. what you're mentioning now is very important because I think for people who um, forget where we were at the time we had a huge lead for at that point like we were sailing you know we were coasting so and and we had a goal differential advantage we had a, a points advantage you know in the table um the idea that yeah. we would need the seven we, goals against Hatay to win we went completely in, foreign to us <laughs> we went into the match against Hatay with a five goal differential over Galatasaray like I saw you argue with that uh, that that brain dead Galatasaray fan on, on Twitter my god, like, I, I just could, I mean, usually I would just ignore these people, but I Same. couldn't help myself and just threw some, 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 some facts at him with some screenshots to support it and he didn't even bother to reply. I know, I know. Um, like, people like that, I don't know what people like that do, like, I wonder, do they believe their own garbage? Or did they just read all that from some other idiots and then didn't bother to actually fact check it? I don't know I'm which gonna, one of I the two I think it's it probably is. a combination of the two. And I think you kind of have to be an idiot to, to, to find number two, to be to be okay with number two in your life. 
but I am so astounded by how quickly people have forgotten the actual reality. You know, and it's, I was mm. literally getting trolled by Galatasaray fans in the weeks prior, like, haha, at least we made you uncomfortable. Like, with yeah. the assumption being, you know we're going to win. We had yeah. a huge advantage. You made us ready. And so that turned into, like, all these conspiracies. So how could they have gone from knowing we were going to win the title and haha, like, we got you a little bit, yeah. to suddenly, I mean, like, no, it was all plotted and schemed. If, right? if like, we're going to talk about pe people, uh, teams padding their goal differential, uh, let's talk about the team that won 1-4 away in Denizli and got four penalties. Come on. Like... I mean, I'm not saying the penalties weren't penalties, but if you're gonna talk about the way Bifung or whatever the freak his name was defended, then let's talk about the way Denizli Sport gave away those penalties. Like, come on. And like, much more plausible, by the way, that a team who are already relegated, a defender of a team who was already relegated, decided to earn some pocket money to uh, to give away a couple of uh, stat padding penalties. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I could make up theories. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. I mean, I just did, I guess. But like, I mean, dude, if you really want to talk about a conspiracy, first of all, we can talk about Fatih Kairagum. But before that, even, I mean, we had to like, talk about Denizli Spore, and, and I don't mean us against, but I'm talking about them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't if you recall, but Rodeega had a goal taken away that was complete nonsense. Um, and then they had another goal added, like a penalty added, that was yeah. completely questionable. Missed and then, the penalty, so, got I mean, the retake. Didn't they get to retake a yes. penalty twice? And Rodeega scored one, and they had to get, they made him do a retake, and then he missed, I think, right? Um, I don't know if that's exactly right. I but. just remember it was a shit show. I just and, and it's like one of those things. Like even at that stage, they were they were padding their goal differential because what if what if? But let's exactly. be honest. Until Fatih Karagumruk actually beat us, they had like almost no hope. And just like listen and, and, to the, like, the absurdity of this. Like we have to. We need seven goals against Hatay, so we're gonna buy it because we feel like we might draw against Sivas, lose against Galatasaray, lose yeah. against Fatih Karagumruk. Like we're planning to do all of that <laughs> after yeah. a dominant season where we let's, had no let's trouble. Let's not forget we had to lose with 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 two goals or more from Galatasaray. Yeah. Like even it's if they, they beat us, like the, the the chance of them beating us by two goals or more was was quite slim, and. They ended up doing it, yeah. Let's not forget how their third goal literally got scored after a, a goal kick was given that was never a goal kick, that was clearly to everyone, to blind people in the stands to see that that ball was in play. And they got a goal kick for that and they literally scored 30 seconds after that from that goal kick. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not defending or defending on their goal. But the way their goal came about, like it's you know, like and, and let's not let's not forget like their penalty as well. I was like at the time I thought, okay, this is compensation because our penalty was kinda soft and their penalty now is soft too. But looking back at it, looking at the actual replays, <laughs> Donk's Donk planted his studs on on Atiba's foot. It's a stonewall penalty. And their penalty Fall happens before the whistle. This is, according to the rule book, not a penalty. Referee is not allowed to give a penalty there. He has to let the free kick be retaken because the fall happened before the free kick. The rules stipulate caution the player and free kick has to be retaken. 
So, VAR should have interjected there because there was a rules violation. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, like at the end of the day, they deserve to beat us. They did. They were better. But it did, like, their penalty and their third goal all had referee help. Just, yeah. I mean, you know, it's I, just, I mean, and that can happen. There's matches like that that happen. But, like, there's a lot of things that had to happen, had to go their way for them to even have a chance. And they those things went their way. But at the end of the day... Well, and look, look, here's another way of thinking. Like, let me just piggyback on what you're saying um what you're implying though and i think it's this is the important point for them for for all of those things to go their way and whether you're willing to say the referees quote-unquote helped them or not you don't really have to say that because what we can definitely say is they definitely didn't work against them when they when they helped or didn't uh you know give them those sort of lucky calls so if there was a grand conspiracy against Galatasaray, every single one of those half-and-half half calls would have gone against them rather than them all going for Galatasaray, right? So the whole conspiracy thing, of you course. can pretty much put that in the garbage. I mean, like, I mean, th their conspiracy is that we we bribed uh, Hatay to concede seven, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think Hatay got uh, smacked around 6-0 earlier in the season by someone else as well. Like, it's... Like, Hatay played a great season, don't get me wrong, they certainly did, but it's not... Like, they had those outshooters before, and... And, like especially people... going in the back, right? They had some weaknesses in the back. Um, and yeah, speaking uh, of the uh, back, let's talk about how Bilong, who had been called up to his national side for, for two to three weeks oh yeah. prior to yeah, our yeah. match. So, so, their theory was, that the conspiracy theory was, like, Bilong was basically pressured into making mistakes and having to score a lot of goals by Abubakar. Who yeah, who, by the way, signed the contract with Al Nasser probably already who, and wasn't who, coming back. <laughs> who are both Cameroon international, like who, Abubakar, obviously Cameroon international, and uh, Bilong being an aspiring uh, Cameroon international. And, and the, the Galtzrai fan theory is that Abubakar pressured him to basically, you know, allow a lot of goals against us. Um, so that uh, he would, so that Bilong would get called up to the national team for the first time in his career. So usually, when you do a transaction, like you you have a, let's say you're selling a very valuable bishop shirt. Mm -hmm. Like, are you going to give me that shirt? Are you going to send it to me by mail and let me pay later? No, right? Like, I pay first. That's uh, how it yeah. works, right? That's how yeah. that sort of a transaction works. So, yeah. why did Bilong get called up to the Cameroon national team weeks prior to our match during the well, international so, break? And which adds even more scheduling conflicts with the, with the notion that we, we knew we were going to drop all those points. Now, not just before the Hatay match, which already is ridiculous based on what we already said, but now go three weeks earlier and, like, probably five matches because we were playing twice a week when the cup like everything was absolutely in our hands we had a huge cold differential advantage everything going our way at that point so for, for us to or for abubakar no less who had already probably signed for al nasser to make trillions of dollars um on half a knee for him to have done it at that point i mean everything about it is so farcical that i yeah it's just it's just nonsense yeah, I mean, it's people grasping at straws, right? Uh, let's not forget we also beat Rizespor earlier in the season 6-0. Uh, 
Uh, we beat them 2-0 at home. We beat Fenerbahce away. We, I mean, we, we, there's not a single team. Only Antalya Sport, the only club we didn't beat during the season. And we beat them in the cup final. Like, we beat everyone. Literally everyone. Like, we had a fantastic season. If it wasn't for the injuries we had, we would have been champions with 10 points clear, probably. That's, that's, that's where it was headed prior to... We lost both our strikers. Like, we had two strikers, we lost them both in the time span yeah. of a week. Yeah. So, it's it's one of those things like, yeah, if you want to believe it, sure, go ahead. But, at the end of the day, we're the champs. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to rewrite history with this. Yeah, go point. suck a lollipop, man. Yeah. It is, it's, it's, uh expected right you you know that the petty rivals are gonna come up with all these sort of lame excuses it's it's a little unfortunate how hypocritical they are um given all the sort of trash they were talking coming into those final matches and the sort of expectation they had that we were going to win regardless and then for it all to be because of a conspiracy just because they happened to have made it close like in the last two weeks basically yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things as well, like one of the things that say, oh, Rosier should have gotten 20,000 red cards this season. And, you know, I can see where they're coming from. If I was a Fenerbahce or a Galtry fan, I probably, like, like, not towards the end of the season, because he had really, he was really disciplined. But early on in the season, he like, the first half of the season, I'll just put it that way, there was a lot of uh, situations where he was either already on a yellow card or something, and then he made, like, a, a tackle where he could have definitely gotten a second yellow. And I will not... I will not say that's not true, it's definitely true, and I, I accept that criticism, but those same people have Marcao on their team, Luis Gustavo on their team, Serdar Aziz on their team, and those players get away with the exact with same shit, if not worse. Marcao had a match, I don't remember which game it was, but he, uh, he was on a yellow and he elbowed a guy, and it's like, not even, like, Sardar Aziz is like a kamikaze bomber half of the time. Yeah, Sardar Aziz. And the thing thing is, like, Rosier, I don't think he's a malicious guy. Like, I don't have the impression that he's a malicious player. He's he's a hothead for sure. He's one of those players that will go into a tackle way too drastic a little bit from time to time. But he's not a malicious guy. He's not out there to hurt people. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a difference between um, a stiff tackle and like elbowing someone on purpose or yeah. stepping on their their heels on purpose with your studs like Ryan Dong did against mm-hmm. Atiba in the match and I'm not talking about the penalty I'm talking before the penalty uh, he should have gotten sent off with a direct red card for that that was at nil-nil by the way um, those types of things the, t- the things that Marcao tends to do from time to time like and Cedar Aziz, that line. and Gustavo it's definitely Serdar Aziz yeah. yeah I mean like and, and Souza, Souza has his mean streak too. Don't get like I'm not. Yeah, I'll not yeah. be. You know, he definitely has his main streak. But it's like one of those things. Like it's easy to to say Rosier this, Rosier Rosier that. But look at your own team as well. You had situations. It's very comparable, similar. Like and you didn't get sent off. And then they point towards like Mustafa Mohammed getting a red card and getting sent off for an elbow. You know, which was a harsh. I'll, I'll give them that. Let's elbow. talk about Kyle Aaron's then. Yeah, we're exactly. Talking about Kyle, random Kyle elbow card. Red card against Fenerbahce. How was that not equally harsh, if not harsher? He was literally punished because he was a foot taller yeah. than that dude. You know, yeah. like he and, just and, put and his and arm back, and that dude's head just happened to be a foot lower than, than Kyle Aaron. Won three matches this season, 
10 versus 11. Where Besiktas were the team going down to 10 men. Fenerbahce away, Denizli Spor at home, and Konya Spor at home. And I, I, I don't know if there's any more, but those three, we went down to 10 men and won despite the red card. And in all three of those games, we didn't just get the red card at the end or anything stupid like that. We got, like, I think Souza against Denizli got sent off first half. Um, then we had the red card for Ensakala against Konya, wasn't, was early in the first half. And the, the red card for Laren against Fenerbahce away was early in the second half. So all three of those matches we played with a man down for a significant part of the match and still won. And that's just one of those things that 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 shows you the team a te that a team is 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 up to the challenge to win the title. And Fenerbahce and Galatasaray, I don't think either of them won a single game where they went down to ten men. I, I might be wrong, correct me if I am, but I'm pretty sure that's the case this season. And even if it's not, they definitely didn't win three. No, I mean, that's that's exceptional. I, I was unaware of that stat. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, and there are so many times I remember, you know, I, I, on Instagram, I always make these little comments after games, uh, sort of branding up my feelings, and, and uh, you know, on the, on the Black Eagles podcast account. <laughs> and... Um, I can't even remember how many times I, I wrote like this is one of those sort of gritty wins that you need for a championship, yeah. you know. And like that was before we knew we were going to win it, obviously. So it, it definitely had you had a number of those matches where you felt like, dang, like I can't believe we we probably didn't deserve that one, but it felt like a big one because you know we, you always need those points. Um, no, I mean there, there's so many angles to point to that you could really just like put a hole in their their sort of ridiculous conspiracy theories about the year but I don't really want to overdo it because I don't I don't want to give them too much credit you know like, too much airtime yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's garbage and yeah. especially for like fans of clubs who have definitely done the stuff that they're trying to accuse us of uh, need I remind Galatasaray fans about their result against Samson Spore and was it 94 uh, I mean because that's a we're, we're showing our age with that reference, perhaps, but... Uh, I'm kind of 1992. But there's also one of those folk, folk um, lore mysteries. Like, I obviously wasn't uh, uh, a, a cogn cognitively aware of that season because I was, like, four at the time. Um, but there's there's also, like, a lot of, uh, like, myths about that. Like, at the end of the season, they, they still had a, a healthy goal differential lead over us, so... Uh, I don't. Ex I know I, you would have to ask somebody who was actually there watching the season what exactly went down there. Uh, I do know that the Ankaragücü goalkeeper admitted Salat uh, admitted to taking a bribe to concede a lot of goals. But at the end of the day, if you look at the 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 league table that season, Galatasaray didn't need those eight goals. So I'm not yeah. sure exactly. I mean, it's less one of those stories, but I don't know. And I, I also think we beat Ankaragücü that season six 0 by the way. So I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's something you'd have to ask somebody who is like twenty years older than I am. Yeah, exactly. Um, so at, at least we're not that old. But no, I mean, I just you know like we all we all have um, strong feelings about our rivals, but I have not in recent years. You know, going, 
except maybe that Samson year, but uh, not recently at all. I, I have not blamed our opponents' victories on too much nonsense. And of course, there's always some ref stuff that we'll complain about here and there, but I, like an entire title. Like, I didn't put Galatasaray's title in under the microscope like that. Uh, and perhaps, you know, like, what's a sad thing is, like, since we're on the receiving end of so much of it this year, I can only imagine that our fan base will kind of respond in kind going forward. And it's just going to be just tit for tat, you know, every every championship will get raised, you know, have questions raised about it and kind of stuff. And it's just going to get worse and worse the more people kind of give attention to this kind of conspiracy nonsense. So, I, I, again, I don't want to do too much of it, but I think we've covered that. Um, trying to think, what else should we review this season? Um, well, we should talk about uh, the Belsman. Yeah, well, we have to talk. That's more like a news segment now. I mean, in review, the one last piece, I guess, to mention, and it's just something sort of piggybacking on uh, a note you made, but about Jenk Tosin, I think when most people view his contribution, they're like, oh, we wasted money, we didn't need him in the end because of the injury, but it's important to note that, like, the brace he scored in that one match, he had another yeah. goal, I think, as well. Like, again, we were talking about how every goal is important. So he also he also gave the quote unquote assist so to speak to Gezal's uh, goal mm -hmm. against Erzurum. Like we shouldn't, uh, yeah, we shouldn't uh, disparage his contribution. Like Jenk was important this season, and it was just a loan fee, so we got what we got a bang for our buck. I guess obviously we could have gotten more in the end, but uh, that potato field that he injured himself on, I yeah. forget where that was, but that was Erzurum. It was Erzurum, yeah. That was Erzurum. unfortunate. It was most definitely unfortunate. But, extremely, yeah. extremely Especially unfortunate. considering the Euro, uh, how that's turned out for Turkey as a national side. Yeah. Uh, not that he would have fixed our problems, though. I think no, that's a no. whole other conversation. I'll, I'll let you do that on fault. You can you can talk about that on Footy Out Turkey. Um, <laughs> let's. I guess our final topic, and it's a, it's a big one. Let's talk Sergen. Yeah, uh, and I'll let you go. I know you probably you're gonna get some some traffic in your home soon. I'm, I'm <laughs> good. I'm good. I'm good for another hour. Oh wow. Okay. Um, uh, kids, kids back from judo class at at six. Nice. At seven. It's, it's it's five now, so should be okay. Judo. But I I, I, sk I wanted to start early enough, Sinan, because I know we tend to go long sometimes. You know. Doesn't hurt. No, it's fine. It's good. Um, but so yeah, let's let's round up the episode with I think the conversation that needs to be had, and it's luckily the good news for us um, now. Uh, Sergen Yalchin, and I think before we talk about like the news item, obviously, yeah, I remember making a big deal about getting you to talk about your feelings when he came, um, yeah, because you know he was your favorite player by far uh, as a player, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, like I, I, of course, I love him too as a, as a, as an old fan. Um, but you know, I was, I was, especially, I, I know you had a, a real connection to him, and so I was excited to hear your take when he arrived as our manager. And so, obviously, now I, I'd like, before we talk about the contract and and the news, you know, how do you feel about your boy Sergan, huh? Talk about a club legend on multiple I don't know fronts. If I've, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but I always feel like we are the most romantic club in Turkey. Mm -hmm. When I was 
Oh, I must. I mean, I guess I was like 13 at the time, so 13, 14 at uh, you know in in our centenary year. It's like I was watching football, paying attention to football for a couple of years at that point. Like I really like I only I only got, I got into football relatively late. I was same yeah. in my early teens when I got into football. And uh, my dad at the time, I remember not that season, but like a couple seasons before, um, was talking to my dad, and my, my parents got divorced when I was six, and um, so when Almost. when when my dad was settled and remarried and stuff, like we obviously my mom and him worked out uh, what's it called the visitation ride stuff, and I yeah, yeah. in the beginning I just went one day, but then I ended up staying the night and you know staying the entire weekend with him, and I actually went every weekend. Uh, to my dad and one of the things that we did that we bonded over was watching football together mm-hmm. and that all started in in the early t- like in 1999 or in 2000 or something when we uh, when my dad worked in you know nowadays you can just place your bets online and you can place them in unibet or or b win or whatever you know all those things they all have apps and you can do it all online but back then if you, you wanted to, to, to place bookie, a bet right? You had to go to a bookie, exactly. And my dad worked in a bookie office. He was basically the guy typing in uh, the the match. Like, if you wanted to place a bet, you know, he'd have to type it in on his computer, you know, and then, oh, whatever, you know. Anyway, so in the yeah. weekend, I used to go with my dad to the matches. And in the shop where he worked, there used to be, like, these big flags. Like, there was a Samsung Sport flag, and a Besiktas flag, and a Galatasaray flag, and a Fenerbahce flag, Ankaragujuf. Like, there were flags against the wall, like, of all the, the clubs in Turkey, basically. Like, all the, the popular clubs of, of uh, where my dad uh, lives, uh, of the, you know, lots of people from Karadinis, so there was a Samsung flag, and a Trabzon flag, and stuff like that. Anyway, so one day, I asked him, like, what is that flag, like, right there? I remember vividly, because it was a Samsung Sport flag. And I asked him, because Samsung uh, sounds like Samson and in Belgium we have this television show called Gert and Samson which uh, Samson and Gert sorry which is basically oh, that's, about um, Samson and Delilah the, the hair guy no Samson is basically just a dog it's a it's, oh. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a puppet dog and Gert is his master basically so, so it's not the it's, biblical it, it, tale no 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 it's for <laughs> it's for kids it's a show for kids um, anyway long story short I thought it was a funny name so I think one thing led to another and then I asked so what is that your team? Is that the team you're supporting? He said, no, I support Bishiktas. And that's how we got to talking and blah, and blah. And then, you know, fast forward, my dad told me about, um, you know, his favorite player, which was Sergen. Uh, at the time, Sergen was playing for, I think, Galatasaray, the first time or something, or Trabzon, I don't remember exactly. So he wasn't playing for Bishiktas at the time. So at the time, like the the guy at Bishtech was was Shifo Mehmet, and I remember yeah. vividly me and him watching my dad and and, and myself watching uh, Shifo's uh, retirement on TV against Milan. We watched that game together and stuff like that. So uh, I, my my like recollection of Turkish football of Bishtech in particular goes back like a couple of years before uh, Sergen came back, but the first season that I basically followed every single match except for one match I missed uh, against Diyarbakir Spor and it's the one game we lost that season it's the only game I missed that season oh I watched you're the talisman we need yeah it. apparently I should have been there we would have had a perfect season um, <laughs> but like that was my first real memory so and of course Sergen came back played a pivotal role throughout the season had was our only I think it was our top scorer that's even with 11 goals or something and obviously he scored 
that now legendary goal against Galtzray and at a time that that that, that clinched the title. The beginning of our podcast. So, yeah, so I mean, for me, like the whole story about Sergen coming back and 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 the way in the way in which he won the title for Besiktas, it was such a romantic story, and that's something I always loved about Besiktas. And then I think later on, if you go further, if you look at like Quaresma's return and his redemption story is, is a very romantic story as well and then now I think Sergan's return to the club and I was having a discussion with one of our mutual friends about it the other day where he said oh Sergan you know because then at the time it was still being said that Sergan was out he said, oh, Sergan's a coward he's running away because he knows you know now now the pressure is on and blah and blah and I told him look dude that's bullshit when he took the job he was in a in a like the, it was the worst time to take that job. Nobody wanted to touch it with a ten foot pole. Nobody wanted that job. There was no money, absolutely no money. The team was in disarray. Players weren't getting paid. The the, the team was just having a terrible season to begin with. Like Sergan took took the responsibility. He took a, 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 a the team from a from a situation where there was no hope. And he gave us hope again. And then he didn't just do that, but the next season he went and he did the unthinkable and won the double. With the circumstances that we've had, it's, it's such an incredibly romantic story. And as the season was progressing, I went from not really having expectations to thinking, oh my god, I can't believe this is actually going to happen, to then thinking, oh my god, I can't believe it, we are gonna give this away. And we, this, like, I've, I've never, like, you can have, like, what Fenerbahce had, like, a couple of times already this, 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 this century against Bursa, against, uh, against Galstrai, and then almost against Trabzon, but they uh, managed to secure that one. Um, you know, like, I, I understand that it's, it's traumatizing to lose the title in the last couple of weeks. But for me, that wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. But the worst thing in the world would have been the way we did it because of those injuries and because of how deserving we had been. I think you could make the argument in the 2010-2011 season, assuming there was no Shike, that both teams deserved to win the title. Both teams had a had a tremendous season. 82 out of uh, 82 points out of a potential um, nine nine one hundred and Two, 101 something like that so an, an almost perfect season dropping like 12 points that's incredible for uh, no that's not that's not 12 points i'm miscounting here it's like 19 or something but whatever an incredible amount an incredible season 82 points is fantastic in 34 games so both teams were incredibly deserving i think there assuming there was no match fixing but if you look at this season I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say that Galatasaray were deserving. I don't think you can say Fenerbahce were deserving this season. The only team that deserved to win the title was Besiktas. And if we would have lost that title, it would have been a very painful thing. Especially because of, for me personally, I thought the thing Sergen did, the wonderful work he did, the not just the... the the, the belief and the confidence he instilled in the team but also in the fan base and getting the club back out of a very dark hole basically 
because he did that. And we talked about Abubakar, we talked about Gezal, we talked about Rosier, we talked about all these players that sure. played a, a tremendous part this season. But the single most important factor and the big, big, big star, or should I say lightning rod of this team this season was Sergen Yalcin. Because when the pressure was on, yes, Gezal stepped up big time. And we have to give him credit for that. From all the players, he went above and beyond. But Sergen took all the pressure away from the players as much as possible, as much as humanly possible. He took it and he all put that on his shoulders. And he basically functioned as a lightning rod to the team to allow the team to stay as relaxed as possible. I'm not saying they didn't feel the pressure. Obviously, they did. But Sergen did such a phenomenal job at that. And even you know, after we, we dropped points against Angregiju, after we lost against Fatih Karagumruk, after we lost against Galatasaray, after those games, any other team, I am 99.9% .9 sure, in Turkey at least, would have crumbled. Absolutely. But he... And we almost did, don't get me wrong, we almost did. But we didn't. And well, that's and I, I want to make a phenomenal a point performance. To piggyback off of what you're saying, I'm, I'm using piggyback a lot. I like that phrase lately. <laughs> yeah, I know um, you like it. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, wh one reason I was so bummed um, about potentially losing it in the end is that we had built that camaraderie and sort of team ethos, you know, that had carried throughout the season. <clears throat> and it really started to feel like what might have been breaking it was the inevitable, was the natural like end of the season and the, the kind of end of that team in a lot of ways, right? Because you know that when the season comes, a lot of guys are coming out, guys mm -hmm. coming in. Uh, guys like Mensa, you know, it was, it was like, I think it was written on the wall that he was on his way out, you know, that, that yeah. didn't quite pan out. So like a number of guys, you know, and then the transfer rumors start to swirl, right? Obviously about Abubakar and whatnot. Uh, guys like Rosier and Gazal start to realize that even if they want to come back next year, there's no doubt that there's going to be some real interest from big clubs now so that, you know, things are going to get complicated. Um, so I feel like once all of that sort of secondary outside stuff starts to creep in, you know, it's obviously going to affect the camaraderie. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I was like, oh, that's not fair. You know, it's not right. Like, we, we did everything right. We built the team mm. the right way. And it all comes apart because, like, we don't have the the financial flex, essentially, to just mm. be like, oh, don't we have nothing to worry about. We'll bring we'll bring everyone back. You know, and I think Ahmed Nurchebi sort of tried that. He even said, like, oh, I think we'll even bring back Mensa at one point, you know. And then, but, like, I think even a week or two before the season ended, there was some point where I think someone even officially recognized that we probably couldn't keep everyone and... Yeah. So yeah, you know, you know like that was inevitable, but it was also so sad to sort of see happen and, and sort of so easily be able to point to that as a contributing factor, right? Um, yeah. But, but that's that, that's that's our that's our true that's our our situation, and we have to accept that that's just part of it, you know. And that's fine. We are in that situation. We know that, and we just need to try and keep the players that we need most. And I think you know, obviously, I think our top priority should be Rashid Gazal. But also uh, Valentin Rosier, who was very important on the pitch, but also off the pitch for the camaraderie, for sure. I think he played a big part, and I can, I think that um, 
I think that he can bond with other players as well. Obviously, he had a great connection with Abu Bakar, and it definitely. But Nkudu was to be there. And Nkudu. Uh, and it definitely, I think, played a part as well for, for Rosia to be able to settle into the club as quick as he did for Nkudu and Abu Bakar to be there. Um, but he's but but now Rosi is settled, and if we can retain him, he is now part of this club's DNA. He yeah, he's gonna right. be he's gonna be the big brother to the next guy that comes in, and he's gonna be the guy that's going to um, hopefully welcome those players. Like if we get new new players, um. I'm gonna say something controversial, uh, and it's sort of to dispute what you just said. Um, very sort of though. It's you're, you'll see. It's not really that not that competitive. Um, I think you could actually maybe make the argument that signing Rosier could be more important than Gazal. And hear me out. Uh, only insofar as, I mean, the Gazal factor is huge, right? Like he's clearly the more important player for the team. You know, for what he gives you in terms of goals and assists and all that. But I feel like, in a way, that's an easier thing to replace, right? It's so oh. hard to find a good fullback. Um, it is. In, in a lot of ways, it's the hardest position to fill. Yeah. Uh, and we lucked out so much with Ridvan, you know? Uh, but, like, that right flank was a real concern. And I, I remember when news broke that we were getting Valentin Rosier, we were so desperate for someone at that position at the time that even though I had no idea who the guy was and his profile looked kind of meh you know like third string at sporting and maybe a bust and all that i was still kind of like oh at least we have someone you know like because that's how desperate yeah. we were yeah. it was like that or like nedjip you know um <laughs> so like yeah i don't know it, a part of me feels like if we lose gizal which is probably more likely now because you know you got leon coming for, for him and all these rumors of big big clubs swirling i don't know about that are they i i only i mean I, I, the, the, what he's continuing. Marseille, who's looking at Rosier, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Marseille supposedly interested in Rosier, and then uh, like yeah, the same club, Al Nasser, I guess, was interested in in Gezal, but Gezal wasn't really interested in uh, in going to uh, to what country is Al Nasser? Is that Saudi Arabia? I think so. I, I, he wasn't interested in that. So I mean, I think. The difference that I that I think is like okay, Gazal just turned 29, and Rosier is 24. I think yeah. Rosier still has a lot of ambition left in his career. I think he still has this. Uh, he even outed it. I think he said something about the Bundesliga kind of being the the league he'd he'd like to ultimately end up in. Um, Rosier definitely still has aspirations. He wants to become a French international, and I think that. In his mind, maybe another year of Besiktas playing in the Champions League and then making that next move is very much something that he's thinking of. But Gezal, on the other hand, I think he's done all that. He's gone to Italy. He's gone to England. He's done the big leagues. And it didn't pan out, really. But what he hasn't done yet is be... Well, he did that the this man. season, but beat the man because he was yeah. never the man at Lyon. He was never the man at Monaco. Yeah. But the bitch this past season, he grew into that, and I think yeah. he's never. I mean, I'm, he's he obviously felt well at at Lyon and stuff and at Monaco. But I think that for him, the most important thing is feeling good and at ease and important 
and appreciated at a club. And I think that's also why he's a lot more likely to turn away other clubs because he knows already from his personal experience how difficult it is to find that, to find a club where you feel uh, good and where you feel appreciated and where you can get the best out of yourself. He's at a no. different stage in his yeah. career. Let me actually quickly re-fix, re, uh, let me re-recover. Re, re, uh, let, re, let me just fix what I said uh, briefly insofar as I think that Rosier is the harder one to replace. But I, I don't think I phrased it well to say that he's the more important, obviously, because clearly if you can lock, lock down a Gazal, you've You've answered many of the questions that we have about our offense next season. Because, <laughs> like, it doesn't. If you've got Gazal locked in there, I feel like we can feel confident that, like, we probably don't even need, like, the best striker in the world. As long as, as it's someone who can get his head on a few crosses, like Laren, on occasion, um, it puts less pressure on other parts of, of you know, the front office to, to, to replace other things we need. Um, but so I just meant, I guess, in terms of just like our ability to actually replace the two of them. I think it might be harder to replace Rosier, but not that it would be more important for us to, to re-sign Rosier over Gazelle. In fact, I think you could probably say the opposite, right? Like, there's maybe not a more important player in Turkey right now. Yeah, I, I mean, Especially I think if if it's, stays. it's about uh, importance, so to speak. I think Gazal is the number one priority. But if you're looking at um, sensibility of business, I think then you're going to look towards Rosier because if you can sign Rosier yeah. for under for five, five million, million euros, he's the type of player you can definitely sell for a, for a nice profit uh, if he yeah. continues to perform um, and if he has a if he puts on a good show in the Champions League as well, like he's the type of player that you can actually go on and sell for a profit. Whereas I think Rashid Gazal, buying him, you're not buying him to sell, you're buying him to be your star. Whereas with Rosier, you're, yes, you're buying him to be a key player, but you're also buying him to potentially move him on uh, in his career and, uh, you know, uh, get a decent uh, change of, uh, well, get some money in exchange for that uh, and a nice profit. So it's a different thing, really. Um, yeah. But I think both players yeah. are important, uh, and I yeah. really hope that we can retain either of them. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot to do for Bishtej this summer. Uh, but the most important thing is what we already finally did, and that's uh, extend with Sergen for another yeah. year. So he's staying, yeah. and it was that actually is definitionally yeah. the most important move. Yeah. I think right, we, like that's where it all starts. That's the domino effect. Hopefully, hopefully this sets things in motions now, um, where yeah. you know finally we've agreed terms with Sergen. He's staying for at least one more year, um, and then uh, hopefully uh, you know the. The ball starts rolling and Gazal and Rosier come and, and we'll have to find a new striker because Abubakar's left us already. I guess you already uh, spoke uh, about that in the, in the past episode. No, we haven't. Uh, oh, you haven't? Uh, last, our last bit of the preview like for the window and, and we were still like, oh, we'll get Abubakar first, it looks like. You know, I don't know why the rumors pointed to that, but yeah. that was not true. Um, Yeah, there we go. So, again, thank you, Khan, 
for uh, for stopping by, uh, and of course we will tune in again next week with you know the thrilling conclusion uh, of our conversation. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but next, I'm passing the mic again over to our our friend Evran, uh, who is reporting on the latest transfers. So yeah, without any delay, let me just uh, move things swiftly along. All right. So quick little transfer update. Um, so no official moves have been made. Um, there's not really any new names, but some of the uh, the transfers have progressed a little bit. Uh, Salyu Chan is, should be announced this weekend. They said he's arriving he's on Friday and taking his medical on Saturday. Um, so you assume when all that happens, It'll be officially announced, um, but you know, I won't say it's 100% done. I'll say 99% Salim Chan's done. Um, Joseph, Agent Joseph, continues. He's been spending a lot of time with Alex Teixeira. He po- posted a picture with Alex, and he did a little eagle pose with his one hand. He also was pictured with Fernando, which is a defensive midfielder. Um, used to play for Shakhtar, now in China. He still has one year left on his contract, so he's not a free agent. Um, but both players are linked to Besiktas. Alex Teixeira and Joseph also played in like a uh, like a pickup game in Brazil. They're spending time together. Um, so, you know, Agent Joseph's working hard, working overtime. Uh, Sergei wants Alex Teixeira. Um, they said negotiations have begun. Um, you know, just come down to money. Uh, the newer more serious one, uh, uh, I guess it was mentioned before Diego Costa is, uh, there's been progress. Uh, Bishesh made a new offer, five million euros over two years, and said again said yes that he wants it or he approves of Diego Costa. Um, so the club is working on that. Um, they're also working on Gezal. They're gonna, you know, try to like this coming uh is around this weekend, I think they're meeting with his agent uh, to try to agree a personal um, details with the player before um, trying to negotiate with Lester. Um, still no news on Rosier officially. Unfortunately, cannot nothing new. Um, so nothing crazy, but I think you know we're getting there. Uh, so hopefully this is this is quick enough for you guys, but um. Quick recap, Salyu Chan is basically done, Alex Teixeira and uh, Diego Costa are free agents that were pretty decently in negotiations, negotiations with, while Fernando has a, you know, it's going to be harder, you know, his Chinese contract might be hard, but if he doesn't get paid there, which is a possibility, that's that's the other thing, but that's more a little bit more of a long shot, so, yep, that's about it. That does it. So again, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Tom. Um, yeah, we'll be back soon. Again, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll get you guys the opportunity to, to hear the end of our conversation. Things get even more interesting, if you'll believe it. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was a great time. Obviously, reconnecting with Tom. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for for the news update. Um, last of all, 
I have to say, uh, follow us on Twitter, of course, you know, at Eagles underscore podcast. Follow myself at, at Sir underscore writes underscore a lot. Follow Khan at Razarian, R-A-Z-Z-E-R-I-A-N. Uh, yeah, and follow us on Instagram, Black Eagles Podcast, one word. Without forgetting, though, I should also mention... Let's go, Besiktas! I will briefly just say that the latest rumor is that we have concluded the transfer of NEC Megan's Elias Tavsan. Tavsan, Tavshan, I'm not sure. Uh, a Dutch Turk. Turkish Dutch. Dutch Turk? Turkish Dutch. <laughs> um, Whatever his name is, uh, it will be joining us, it sounds like. So hopefully we'll have some more info about him on the next episode. And again, that'll be up to Evron. Uh, and again, I don't even know if that rumor is real, real, real. But sounding more likely than not at this point. So yeah, Elias, uh, welcome aboard, sir. Um, and yeah, peace out, everyone. See you next time. Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.